Our sermon text for this morning is Psalm 16. Let us give our attention to God's holy word. A mitkam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us your holy word, and thank you for including in your word, right in the middle of our Bibles, a book of songs. Thank you for the Psalms, O Lord. And give us this morning ears to hear and the power of your Holy Spirit to understand and be strengthened and built up through your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you all were to take a trip with us on our, in our big old van and uh, listen in on the playlist that we tend to play whenever we uh, go on these trips, you would, uh, you'd quickly learn that our playlists consist of a lot of uh, eclectic tunes. We, we have quite a broad range, lots of different genres, everything from American folk tunes to, to uh, 70s new wave, a little bit of big band, some acoustic soft rock, even a little bit of hip-hop in there, believe it or not. If you were to be uh, on a trip with us listening to that playlist, one song might show up that you would hear. And I wanted to read a few verses from, from this particular song, uh, extra points if you happen to, to know the, the band. Have you ever been close to tragedy or been close to folks who have? Have you ever felt a pain so powerful, so heavy, you collapse? Have you ever had the odds stacked up so high you need a strength that most don't possess? Or has it ever come down to do or die you've got to rise above the rest? I'm not a coward. I've just never been tested. I'd like to think that if I was, I would pass. Look at the tested and think there but for the grace go I. Might be a coward. I'm afraid of what I might find out. If you're listening to this song, the refrain, the, the songwriter talks about not having to knock on wood because he hopes that he never has to ever face anything like uh, what he's observed in, in others in these kinds of trials. And of course, you know, knocking on wood, wouldn't recommend it. That's a, that's a pagan practice, trying to chase away evil spirits. It's ineffectual. It's not going to help you to avoid trials. In fact, God's promised the opposite, hasn't he? He's promised that we will in this world face trouble, that we will, in fact, have trials. He has promised that we'll have trials. And he's told us not to be surprised when we see them, not to think that they're strange. In fact, he's told us to rejoice in our trials. In 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, 
he, Peter tells us this. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, meaning trials are necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And there's a purpose. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when we're walking through life, we can be sure we're going to face trials. They're going to happen. And we could know two key things about these trials. God is going to keep us in them. He's going to preserve us in them. And he's going to do a good thing through them. He's going to accomplish something. He's going to refine our faith like gold. And so when we face painful trials in life, we have to learn how to lean into God's good purposes for these pains in our lives. And one of the ways that we can do this, one of the ways that we could lean in so that when we're facing trials and pains is to read and meditate on and sing the Psalms. So before we dive into this particular Psalm that we're going to study this morning, I wanted to just step back and and give you a little bit of a context of the Psalms themselves. Just like there are a whole bunch of different genres on our family's playlist, there are different genres of, of Psalms. They come in different kind of styles. And I'm just going to give you five categories, five genres of, of Psalms. One, of course, uh, is the Psalms of lament. Those Psalms that just cry out to God in the midst of current pain. We cry out, how long, oh God, like Psalm 6. How long, oh God, is this pain that I'm experiencing going to last? So there's a lot of psalms of lament in the, in the Psalter. There's also, of course, psalms of praise, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, where we just exalt in the goodness and glory of God. We sing, like in Psalm 96, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Then if there's this category of, of psalms called the psalms of thanksgiving, very appropriate for a week like this, that we would sing and meditate on uh, psalms of thanksgiving. And we give thanks to God for the things that he's already delivered. Um, and there's a particular example relating to trials, psalms of thanksgivings for when trials come to an end, which we are always very thankful for. And so like Psalm 92, we might sing, it is good to give Thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. So we have psalms of lament, psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving. And then there's that difficult category, right? The imprecatory psalms where we're actually calling upon God to bring down his judgment on the wicked. Like in Psalm 109, verse 29, may my accusers be clothed with dishonor. Maybe they be wrapped in their own shame as a cloak. So there's that category of psalm. And then there's the category that our psalm today falls into. The psalms of trust. The psalms of trust. The Psalms of Trust are a potent, powerful, deeply stabilizing in times of trouble. Now, the Psalms of Trust are actually very similar in genre to the Psalms of Lament, actually. Because both Psalms of Trust and Psalms of Lament are responding with a prayer and a song to something that's happening right now. A pain, a trial, something difficult. Uh, maybe it's a sickness, an injury, a conflict. Maybe we're experiencing the Lord's discipline in some way, and it's, and it's painful. And in the same way that a psalm of lament cries out, How long, O oh Lord, am I going to be in this pain right now? How long is it going to last? Likewise, the psalms of trust are dealing with something right now. The difference is, 
whereas the psalms of lament are just a cry, a plea, the psalms of trust carry a confident tone, a strong trust in God in the very midst of their pain. So it's even as enemies are encircling, the psalms of trust stand firm with God as a shield. Even as our resources are evaporating, the psalms of trust confidently wait on God for his provision. Even when it seems like everything we've been trying to build is just falling apart all around us, the Psalms of Trust remind us that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And so reading and meditating on and singing the Psalms of Trust, these can be very effective to help us build our confidence in the Lord as we endure present and current trials. And so as we study Psalm 16 this morning, we're going to see that there are, there are things that God has established for us, some means, some boundaries that are going to keep us and protect us in his blessings, even as we endure painful trials in this life. We're going to see that God has established boundaries for us, boundaries that preserve our blessing. But there's a problem with this, isn't there? We generally don't like boundaries, do we? We don't running, like running into barriers or being restricted or being kept from something. In fact, we have this impulse every time we come up to a barrier, we just want to get right over it. We just want to jump right over it. We try to get around our barriers and, and things that, that constrain us. And when we're in pain, in those moments when we're suffering, we're even more inclined to want to get around the barriers. We feel almost justified to throw off restraint. We feel like we have a right to complain and to grumble when we're suffering pains. We tend to reject help, to isolate ourselves, to nurse our wounds. And all of those instincts are going to lead us in exactly the wrong way. To want to run away from those, to overcome those barriers, to run away. When God means to keep us and protect us through these barriers. So as we study Psalm 16, I want to look at these boundaries that God has established to preserve our blessing and keep us, particularly in the midst of pain and trial. But I want to do it in two categories. So we're going to go through the psalm. The first part of it, the first several verses, we're going to look at some of the covenantal and fixed boundaries that God has established for all of us to preserve our blessing. And then as we move through the rest of the psalm, we're going to see a different kind of category of boundary, those circumstantial or fitted boundaries that God gives to us to preserve our blessing. So let's start to walk through the psalm and, and look at these two categories of boundaries that God has to preserve our blessing. The psalm begins, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David begins by just praying that God would indeed preserve him, to keep him, to protect him, to maintain him. If there's any prayer that we pray in the midst of trouble, isn't that the one we really want God to answer? Right? Like if you're struggling, if you need a new job, or if you're struggling with a sickness, we're going to have a lot of prayer requests, right? I want God to heal me. I want the, this interview to go well. And um, sometimes, you know, that one interview doesn't go well, but God has a different plan for us. But if there's one prayer as we're struggling that we want God to keep, isn't it preserve me, keep me, hold me, secure me? Because if he, if he answers that prayer, well, then whatever we might have to face in between, we know God's got us. And this is the good news, right? God, he doesn't necessarily 
say he's going to promise the prayer for this particular interview, right? We kind of pray, we ask, we hope, but it doesn't always turn out. He absolutely does promise to fulfill the prayer, preserve me, O oh God. He always will. This is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, right? Doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, it teaches us two key things about the grace of God. First of all, it teaches us that we must persevere to the end, but also, thankfully, that we will persevere to the end. Two key things about, about the, the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints. Jesus tells us we must persevere to the end. Mark 13, 13, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Likewise, in Hebrews 3, 14, it says, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It is necessary that we persevere. We got to hold on. We got to persevere. We've got to be faithful in the midst of trial. We've got to stay inside the boundaries that God has established for us. This is necessary. But also, gladly, the grace of God teaches us we will. We will stand. Why? Because it's God who is keeping us. It is God who answers the prayer that we will be preserved. Jude 1 says to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus. You belong to God. You have been kept. You're being kept by God. Jesus says, um, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. You're being preserved. You're being kept because it's Jesus who has you. He is the one that is keeping you. And so the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints teaches us, yeah, we've got to stand firm. We have got to persevere. We've got to hold fast. But it also teaches that because Jesus is the one who has us, we will persevere to the ends. But God, in keeping us, in fulfilling this promise, in guaranteeing that that prayer is going to be answered, he does it definitively, but he doesn't do it automatically. He can't just mail it in. God works out his preservation. He keeps us over time. He keeps us through means. He does it through appointed covenantal means. And that's what I want to look at in the first four verses, this first set of boundaries, these first, first set of means by which God keeps us in, unto the end. We're going to look at six of them. Six covenantal blessings, covenantal boundaries that God uses to preserve our blessings. So let's think of these six um, as four walls, a ground, and a ceiling. Okay, these are the six boundaries God establishes for us. So what's the first wall? The first wall is not so much listed in the text as it is the text. God has appointed his word, all of it, as a boundary, as a means by which we are kept. So we need to be in the word. We need to be reading the word. We need to be meditating on the word. We need to be studying the word. We need to be here, hearing the word and responding to the word and hearing the word preached. This is you know, that first wall that God has established to keep us, to preserve us unto the end. We need the word of God. The second covenantal boundary that he's established for us is what he is doing in the text, namely praying. 
crying out to God, preserve me, O God. That is a prayer. So we have the word and then we have prayer. Two, two walls, two boundaries, two means by which God is answering this very prayer to keep us to the end. And so I hope that, that you are engaging in prayer in your life and that you're praying these kinds of prayers, that you cry out to God, preserve me, keep me, O God. Every time we, we pray the Lord's Prayer, deliver me not into temptation. Do not lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. We're praying, preserve me, keep me, O God. And it's through these prayers, by means of these prayers, that God is, in fact, answering that prayer and keeping us. I hope as Reformed Christians, as those who understand and, and stand firmly on doctrines like the sovereignty of God over all things, we know that a bird doesn't fall to the ground without the will of our Father. I hope that we don't fall into the wrong application of that truth by thinking that, you know, everything is just automatic. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm good. I've been told that this is all in God's hands, so I'm good. I don't have to worry. I hope we're not presuming upon our perseverance. Listen, don't let presumption of perseverance rob you of the means of your perseverance, namely praying. We need to continually be praying. Preserve me, O God. So we have the word. We have prayer. Then in verse 2, we read, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I, I, lo I love how, how Duane, when he comes across the capitalized vers verses, can automatically just substitute Yahweh. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord, because it's verses like this where Lord, Lord sounds the same to us, but it's actually two different words there. I say to Yahweh, you are my master, my king, my God, my Lord. And when we call God, our, our Lord, our master, our king, we're implying, of course, what? That, that we're going to obey him, right? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And so the third wall, we have the word, we have prayer. The third wall is simple obedience. Simple obedience to God. That when he says, don't do that, we don't do that. Do this, that we do this. If only we simply obeyed the Lord. How many trials might we avoid and pains in life might we avoid? Through simple obedience. We need to obey our God to stay within the boundaries that he has established for our blessing. So word, prayer, obedience. And the, the fourth one is delight. Is delight. Verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. Listen, sometimes when we talk about boundaries and fences and barriers... Um, we think, I'm being restricted, and I, and I don't like that, and I'm being hemmed in, and I don't like that. I hope when you encounter these walls, when sometimes you butt up against them, when they're actually keeping you from some place you might like to go, when they're pinching you and you don't quite, you want, you have that desire to get out, I hope you, when you encounter that wall, you don't think of them like cell walls. I hope instead when you come to these barriers that you think of them as the strong walls of a fortress, of a rock cave, of a haven that keeps you protected, that enemies cannot break through. I hope that when you come across the boundaries that God has established for our blessing that you love them, that they're good. These are good boundaries. God's word is good. Praying isn't a chore. It is good. 
Obeying the Lord is not a burden. It is good. We need to delight ourselves in the Lord. We need to delight ourselves in his word. So we have these four walls, the word, prayer, obedience, and delight. We need to keep ourselves inside that, those boundaries to, that, that, that define the place of blessing. But these walls sit on, on a ground. They exist in a context. They, they have a foundation. And so the fifth appointed means, covenantal means that God has established for us, on which these things rest, is his church. Verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. God has, by his grace, called us into his covenant. We have become the covenant people of God. We have entered into covenant with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because we have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, as John says in, in 1 John, because we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one and we have fellowship with him, we have fellowship with one another. By virtue of being in covenant with God, we are necessarily and vitally connected to one another. We have a vital connection, being a part of his body, and in this particular church with one another, a vital connection because of our connection to God. And the, and the saints of the land... He describes as the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Isn't that, isn't that beautifully written? This reflects the, the treasure that we have in one another, the inheritance that we have in the saints. It's beautiful. But you know, sometimes when that beautiful idea takes on concrete form, and we kind of realize, oh, wait a minute, yeah, that sounds great. But then you kind of, oh, you look around and you realize, oh, the, we're, these, these are the excellent ones <laughs> in whom is all my delight. Well, except for that one over there. I know, it bugs me. Um, now, this includes all of us with all of our weaknesses, all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our quirks. Those ones, they are the excellent ones in whom is all of our delight. It's not always easy to walk out this covenant connection with one another. But listen, it's one of the most vital means of God's grace to keep us, that we are here, present, in, included, members. God is keeping us. God is preserving us. We need one another, even when we rub each other the wrong way. Sometimes God deliberately designs it that way for our sanctification. We need to be connected to God's people. We need to stand firm in the midst of God's people, letting God work through his people. We need the church. We need the church, we need its sacraments, its structures, its discipline, its order. It is a vital means of God's preserving our blessings. So we have these four walls, word, prayer, obedience, delight, resting on this context of the church where we remain and dwell. The top, the cap, are God's warnings. God's warnings. Verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. I'm, I'm not sure if we often consider how God's warnings are meant for our preservation, but they are. See, we've been called into covenant, and all covenants have stipulations. They have promises for obedience and curses. For disobedience, all of those curses, 
all of those failures, all of those stories of warning. We've been going through first uh, Samuel. Dwayne is doing a great job leading us through that. And in that, we see uh, Saul, who's a perfect example of this, who started off so well. It looked so good. But by the end of the story, because he was not faithful, because he did not obey the Lord, because he went against God's word, in the end, he was cursed and he was rejected. We need the warnings of God. We must give heed to those passages, those stories, which are hard to hear. But keep us, keep us inside these covenantal and fixed boundaries that God establishes for us so that we might experience his blessing. We need the word. We need prayer. We have to obey. We need to delight in the good of our God. We must stay in the covenant community, the church, and we must heed the warnings of God. He's established all of these for our good. That's the first set of boundaries that God has established for us. But as I mentioned, there's a second set, a whole different set. And these are different from the first because they're more circumstantial or customized. They're fitted for us individually. But God means these to preserve our blessings as well. So let's look at this different set of boundaries God has established, starting in verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. When God calls us into his covenant, we have to accept all those fixed boundaries. They're established, they're ordained, they're kept. We, we've got to keep them. These are the same for all of us. They apply equally to all of us. But God has a different set of boundaries for us. And they are unique to us as individuals. They're, they're not universal. They're customized for each one of our lives. Whereas everyone is obeyed to, uh, called to, uh, to be in the word and in prayer and to obey and to, be, um, to delight themselves in the Lord and be in the church and heed his warnings. It's for all of us. We're not all called to be a wife or uh, an, an American or a soldier or a, a businessman or a deacon. We all have different callings that we have been given, different boundaries that fit us personally. So what are some of these, uh, some of these personal, particular, customized boundaries? We need to recognize them because, honestly, I think it may be more challenging for us day by day to stay within those boundaries than the ones that are very clear and very, very, clear, very clearly stated. What are some of these? Well, some really basic ones. How old are you? Well, that's how God has called you, old, how old he's called you to be right now. What is, your, uh, what is your gender? What are your abilities? What's your personality like? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? These are all aspects of who God has made you to be. They're tied to you and they're boundaries you have to observe. They're limitations that you have or opportunities. And then there's a different kind of uh, set of personal boundaries, customized boundaries, and those have to do with our relationships. If you're a wife, you have a relationship to your husband, husband to your wife. If you're a child, you have a relationship to your parents and parents to your children. You have relationships with your particular siblings and your set of friends. You have a unique set of people in your particular church. You have your own boss and coworkers. You have your own neighbors. This footprint, this fingerprint of, of relationships is unique to each one of us. We all have a different set, different people that we relate to in different ways. Another set of boundaries are the opportunities that we have in life. 
How many, how, what kind of resources do we have? Do, are we poor or are we rich? What is our educational level? What educational opportunities did we have? And what are our aptitudes in our education? What job do you have? What particular skills have you gained? Who are your contacts? Where do you live? All of these things create certain barriers and limits and situations that are unique to you. But listen, all of these are part of your lot. And your lot has been assigned by God. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You, O oh Lord, hold my lot. These things that we are given personally and individually, these boundaries and barriers are the lot that God has established for us. Many of them we didn't choose. Most of them we didn't choose. We didn't choose to be born. We didn't be choose to who, to who to be born to. We didn't choose whether to be male or female. We didn't choose whether to have black hair or blonde hair or hair at all. We didn't choose to have blue eyes or brown eyes. We didn't choose to be short or tall, big boned, slight. We didn't choose our basic personality types, whether we're introverted or extroverted. We didn't choose our strengths or weaknesses. These are God-given. He didn't consult us. He just ordained our lot. He appointed our lot. But you know, among all of these limitations are some things we do choose. Right? Like when you get older, you could choose what to study in college. You can choose what job to accept. Um, you can choose what church to join. You can choose who you may marry. But we need to recognize that even when we make choices in the sovereign governing providence of God, he knows what those choices are going to be. He's ordained those things as well. And within that set, there are some which we can change and some which we cannot. If we don't like our job or our house, we have the option of changing jobs or looking for a new house. Uh, there are some choices we make that we cannot change. When you say, uh, for better, for worse, richer and poorer, till death do us part, guess what? You don't get to change that one. That one's till death do you part. These things, um, when, we, when, we have, when our lot is defined by our own choices, and we're tempted to want to change those things, and sometimes we even have opportunity to change those things, it, it becomes very difficult for us to know, what, are the, what is the lot that you've ordained for me, O oh Lord? that I need to stay within, and, and what can I change? What can I look to change? And there are some that we can change. However, wherever you're at today, whatever your circumstances are, wherever you're heading to work tomorrow, even if you're not happy with your current job, he's ordained your lot. That's where you're going tomorrow. That's the boss you'll report to and the coworkers you'll work with. So, if for some reason you don't like the lot, you're not enjoying the lot. Um, there are things about the neighbors that you don't appreciate. Um, there are problems at work. There are problems in marriage. Can you, like David, say for tomorrow, for today, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. How do you respond when the boundaries that are set for you, the fixed ones, circumstantial ones, those that you've chosen, those that just are, how do you respond when things change? When your body is getting old and things that didn't used to hurt start to hurt. When you get sick, when you face limits because of your own weaknesses, when you're struggling to pay bills, when your job takes a turn 
for the worse. When you lose your job, when you have marriage conflicts, when you're having trouble with your children, when the baby wakes up three or four times a night for months on end, can you say then, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What if you feel like these circumstances are not good and that they're just never going to change? It doesn't look like they're going to change tomorrow or next week or month or year. How do we respond? The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I think this psalm answers this for us. Verse 7 says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. We need to allow God to be our counselor. We need him to instruct us in the night. As we find ourselves grumbling and complaining and discontent, we have to let the Lord remind us. These are the boundaries I have appointed for you. This is your lot. Yes, it's got pain in it. And yes, you can trust me in it. You can trust me to bring you through, to hold you fast. And you can trust me to refine your faith through it. So in the very midst of your trials and pain, you can sing a psalm like Psalm 16 and say, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. As we let the Lord counsel us and speak to us, as we, he, we set him always before us, he reminds us in his word that these are light momentary afflictions that are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And so we can stand fast. We can hold fast, even as we struggle. And it goes deeper. It goes deeper than that because in verse 9 it says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. See, David had a very deep confidence, a deep faith, a deep trust, an anchor for his soul because he knew that God would not abandon him to Sheol, that is the grave, to death. That wasn't his end. And David knew that when he penned those words, they weren't just about him, but they were about someone else. They were about one who would be risen from the grave. He understood he was talking about his son of promise, the one who would deliver him from the grave. David knew this and Peter knew this. And he proclaimed this truth on the day of Pentecost when he first publicly proclaimed the gospel when he said from Acts 2, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. 
David knew that he was speaking of Jesus Christ. Of the one whose lot included being handed over to death and crucifixion at the hands of lawless men. That was appointed for our Lord. That was part of his fingerprint of ordained circumstances. God established beforehand, according to his definite plan and foreknowledge, to send his son to death at the hands of lawless men. Why? So that our sins could be washed away. So that we can be brought into the covenant. Those transgressors, those who have escaped those bounds, those who have run after other gods like us, us, who deserved no good, but rather the multiplication of sorrows, who didn't deserve favor or goodness or blessing, but rather the opposite, the curses of the law. For us, he went to the cross according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He endured that lot. And because of it, we have been cleansed. We have been united by faith to our Lord. And we have inherited all the blessings of Christ. We have been forgiven our sins and washed and cleansed and made, uh, brought into unity with him. All of this because of the one that this was written about. Jesus is the one who keeps us and preserves us and blesses us in the midst of the boundaries that he established. And so, as we endure our trials and our pains and those boundary lines for us, some of which we don't always like, we can trust in Christ. We can follow in his example. We could know that, yeah, God's got some definite plans for me too. And it, they involve trials. He's promised me. I'm not surprised. I know that I, I'm aware of this. And by the grace of God, I can rejoice in my trials because I know what he's producing through them. It was necessary for Christ to go to the cross and through that he fulfilled this verse and in it he brings all of us into newness of life. God has established these boundaries, these fixed covenantal boundaries and then he's appointed these particular ones for us and they are good and they keep us and they preserve our blessings but I want you to understand something because again we're when we think about these boundaries and boxes uh, and situations that we can't escape we think restriction we think confinement we think small and and we don't like that idea but but, but listen if all of these boundaries are keeping you in Christ then all that Christ has is ours and therefore all things are in the box. This box isn't keeping anything of good from us. All the stuff outside the box is corruption and darkness and death and despair. Inside is the universe. Paul says in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This box is anything but restrictive. It expands out to the whole universe of goodness. And it keeps us in that by the grace of God. That is why David could pray. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This refrain can transpose your whole life. And you will be able to sum it up in the same way that David does. You Make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand 
our pleasures forevermore. Jesus is that path of life. It leads to fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Because you inherit the same promises that David had and that were fulfilled through Christ. God has appointed fixed means, the word, prayer, obedience, delight, in the ground of the church under his warnings. And he has appointed boundaries for each of us individually. And when we keep within them, God delivers us into pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness and goodness to us. Thank you for how you have delivered each of us by your grace through the gospel into Christ in whom we experience blessings and fullness and pleasures forevermore. Oh God, grant us, I pray, faith to trust you in the midst of our trials, those trials you've appointed for our good. Let us know it. Let it go deep in our souls. Let us keep ourselves in your church, hearing your word, praying together, keeping each other accountable, delighting together, heeding your warnings, holding each other accountable, that we might be in the place that we need to be to experience the abundance of the blessings that you have promised in Christ. Thank you for this grace. In Jesus' name, amen.